You're listening to the Bluegrass EDU podcast. This is episode three, a glimpse into the Bemis family. And this is going to be about inclusion. My name is Daniel Bemis. And I'm Allison Bemis. Together Together we we stand, stand. together Together we we grow. I have cerebral palsy and epilepsy. Epilepsy, that's right. I love drawing and cooking. I love that. I love Star Wars and The Lion King. Who's your favorite on The Lion King? Who's your Simba. Simba. Who's your favorite on Star Wars? Darth Vader. Oh, Darth Vader. When I grow up, I'll be an illustrator for Disney. Ooh, that's that's pretty cool. Oh, so that was our little guy. That was Jonah. He's nine years old. He's going into third grade next year. I'm glad you got to hear a little glimpse of who he is. And... I love that we um, had him start and he chose to start by telling you who he is, telling you his diagnosis or multiple diagnoses, Um, but also all of the things that you should know about him. Because before we begin this episode, I think as parents of a child with unique needs, it's important for us uh, to share that they are their diagnosis will always be a part of them. You know, cerebral palsy, the fact he had a stroke, epilepsy, that's always going to be a part of Jonah, but it's only one part of Jonah. Um, He loves Disney World. He loves the Lion King. He loves to draw. He could spend hours drawing. He loves to read books. He loves Darth Vader. Any villain, any... Yeah, any any villain he's a fan of. Scar. He's going to be dressed as Scar or Darth Vader. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why, because he's the sweetest, funniest, (laughs) kind-hearted little child, but he is always going to pick the villain. Yeah, always the villain. Um, So anyway, we want to start by saying that. It is important for you to know the quote-unquote disabilities, uh, because that's whether you're a teacher or um, whoever you are, med- medical professional, whoever you are that's working with their child, that's important for you to know. But it's equally for you important to know all those other cool things about it. In this episode, we are going to do a little bit of background on his history, some of the programs that he's been in, um, what we've learned from that. We're going to do a little question and answer just as his parents. And then specifically, we had a request for siblings um, for a sibling interview, and we spoke with our older son. We have a 14-year-old, Elijah, who is an amazing advocate and has grown a lot himself um, in this process, just like Daniel and I have, and he did agree to do that interview with us. So that's what we're going to share with you today, just some personal stories. Why did we want to do this? Well, because you ask us for it is the number one thing, and and I'd I do believe in the together we stand. I believe the person that reached out to me and asked for it, um, it's because she stands with us. She's been an advocate and, and uh, you know, an, an advocate for kids that not just Jonah, but advocate for kids um, that she works with. And I think that to grow together, you must have empathy and understand 
what families are going through and what children are going through. And so I hope, hopefully this conversation helps raise that empathy and advocacy. So those are our goals and we will jump right in. So let's just jump right in. Um, I'm going to answer some of the most common questions that we have about his diagnosis. Jonah had a stroke before he was born. Yes, it is possible for children, babies, and even unborn babies to have strokes. That is something that's the number one question we're asked when people will say, well, I didn't even know that was possible. I thought strokes were something that happened to um, older people. And it is something that happens to older people, but it does also happen to children. The next question is, do you know why he had a stroke? And that answer is... No, no. <laughs> we no do not know why he had a stroke. It's um, likely that we will never find out. We spent, I really spent years, the, the early, early years of his diagnosis, just sort of running that question to over and over in my head and talking with every doctor and doing an insane amount of Googling, trying to figure out why he had a stroke. He had a lot of blood tests. I had a lot of blood tests. We could never get an answer about why he had a stroke. Uh, likely based on the, the images we have from his MRI, and I'll talk about that in a minute, um, he had the stroke three to five days before he was born. I think it was within a week of birth. That's a more common time for, for uh, perinatal strokes, which is what he has. That just means that he had a stroke before he was born. Um, but we will not ever have an answer to that. And I think early on in the diagnosis, especially, I don't know about for you, Daniel, um, that was something really, really hard for me to come to terms with, that this thing had happened and we would likely never know why it happened. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think now, uh, eight years into this diagnosis, um, I say eight years because we'll share in a minute, we didn't know until Jonah was a year old that he'd had a stroke. Uh, I think eight years into it, what I know now is it almost for him doesn't matter why. Now it mattered that we made sure he didn't have, we knew he didn't have a blood clotting disorder because yeah, yeah. that would increase his risk for, for more strokes. So, so that was important to find out, but really the end result, regardless if we knew um, what, what caused it for him, because it wasn't a blood clotting disorder, the result was still the same. So there are still times that I wonder, but I don't sit and wonder about it for hours like I used to. Um, so those are some of the most common questions we get. The next one is, did you really not know for a year? We really did not know yeah. for a year. We noticed Jonah was born in April and we noticed around Christmas time that he was missing some of his milestones. And shortly after Christmas time, that first year, he started some physical therapy because he couldn't yet sit up on his own. Uh, we noticed he couldn't really hold bottles on his own, but he'd met a lot of other milestones. So, the number one signal for him for it to help us notice that it was a stroke in hindsight is 2020 is that he was showing handedness. He was pref he was preferring his left hand. And that's the number one sign of stroke. Uh, we didn't worry about that because Daniel's left handed. Yeah, yeah. Um, his mom is left handed. So we mistakenly thought that Jonah was also. Yeah, we just thought he was going to be left handed. Yeah. And actually, babies, um, because of their reflexive movements and things, should not show handedness as early as Joe did. So that would have been an early clue for us that he'd had a stroke, but we did not know that that was a cue. So those are some answers to those questions. We uh, Around the time of his first birthday, we started advocating uh, for an MRI just to check things out. We were denied 
for several weeks in MRI um, because they just kept saying he hadn't missed enough milestones and that we should wait until he was 18 months old. But Daniel and I really fought with our insurance company at the time and got an MRI. When we had the MRI, it showed he had a stroke and that kind of put us on this journey. By 18 months, we learned that the stroke had resulted in cerebral palsy. Um, and by that point, we were working with therapists. Jonah had Gosh, he had speech at home. He had physical therapy at home. Uh, later, he also had physical therapy in clinic. He had two physical yeah, therapies two a week, and he had OT every week, um, OT occupational therapy. I mean, this little guy went to therapy and therapy and therapy. We, we put him in everything that we could. Uh, I would leave doctor's appointments sometimes uh so deflated because you would leave and they would give you a thousand more things that you should try. And I think that one time, one of our orthopedic surgeons we were at before they did a Botox treatment on Jonah, I guess he could see from my face that I was feeling a little deflated in some of the things that he shared. Jonah uh, wasn't yet walking. And he said, I want you to understand that Jonah is showing potential. So every doctor you go to and every therapist you go to, and every teacher later is, is what would happen. We'll throw everything at him but the kitchen sink to see what sticks. Honestly, him telling me that helped me so much because then later as we would go to doctor's appointments or meet with therapists and they would suggest one more thing for us to try when I felt already overwhelmed, I would think back to what he said about they're going to throw everything at him to see what sticks because that's that's what we try to do. We believe that early intervention is important. It made a world of difference with Jonah. Um, and so that's what we did. We, we tried a lot of different yeah, things. Yeah. Okay. So that was a really quick version of diagnosis and starting with therapy. We could do really an entire podcast series on, oh, yeah. on, on going through the process of your child being diagnosed, um, and finding the insurance company. Yeah. Just a whole week. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and we'll talk about more whenever we interview each other, I guess, as parents, too, and sort of spill the beans a little bit on that. But we do want to tell you also a little bit about the programs Jonah's been involved in. So we mentioned that he started with therapy before he was ever diagnosed, and he did that at about nine months. Mm -hmm. um, but once he received his diagnosis from the neurologist um, that he'd had a stroke, uh, well, we didn't start with first steps initially. Initially, yeah. we tried to do everything just through private therapy. Yeah. Um, but our insurance ran out. Yeah. We we maxed out our visits by like I remember if it was September, and then we couldn't get any more visits paid for. So we actually started with first steps. Yeah. Which I was hesitant to do, and I shouldn't have been. So let me just tell you that as a as a mom, I had been a teacher. Um. And I decided once we learned he'd had a stroke to just stay home and devote a year uh, just to figuring out what therapies and what it meant to 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 have have be raising a child with a stroke and what all they need. And so I decided I was just going to do it all myself and that we didn't need to have the first steps that I could control it all myself. And that was a mistake. But, you know, we've talked about this before. When my Angelou says, no better, you do better. Uh, we ran out of visits and someone said, you've got to check out first steps. So we checked out first steps. We actually ended up getting more therapy and therapy in our home, which was 
critical. I mean, I like therapy in the clinic setting and we're going to share some therapies we did in different types of clinic settings across the United States, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, But having therapy in our home, learning how to use couch cushions to help him with balance and learning how to use toys and items from the kitchen um, to help with speech therapy. You know, I thought that I knew things that I didn't know. I didn't even know what I didn't know until we got into first yeah. steps. Yeah, it's a very eye-opening experience. Mm-hmm. So it, it really made a world of difference for our family. I used to always joke when Elijah was younger, or sorry, when Jonah was younger, that your therapist sort of become like the child's aunts and uncles. They, I have cried more <laughs> to therapists um, than even family members. I've shared things with them that I haven't shared with family members. I mean, they just... It can make me teary yeah. now. They really support you in one of the areas of your life that you are most vulnerable. Yeah. So sorry for that. But Daniel's going to tell you a little about some special therapies. We we got on Google and Googled everything about pediatric stroke for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. I mean, like I didn't sleep for a while. And we'll talk about that more later. But um just as we were processing this, but one thing we learned about was constraint therapy. Um, so do you want to share what we've done? Yeah. So uh, for constraint therapy, we went to uh, New Jersey. What was it? Uh, blanking out on the name. It's, it's Camp Helping Hands, but where at New Jersey was it? It was Intensive Therapeutics, it, Westfield, yeah, New Jersey. Westfield, New Jersey. And so we went to, uh, we Googled them uh, and we signed up for it. And we actually spent is uh, a month. In in, uh, in New Jersey, and so the uh, first two to three weeks, he uh, he was in a cast, okay, and uh, they had them in different like different age groups, mm-hmm. uh, and so we would send him there. He and you w- should know Jonah had just turned two, yeah, and he was not yet walking independently, yeah. And how this works? There's a lot of research around it, so it's going to sound really weird, but it is Jonah's grown so much. They cast the child's unaffected side to require them to use their affected side. Because when you're working with a child that's had a stroke, the problem is actually not with their hands and their arms. Although it appears to be that the problem is coming really from their brain. And so what that requires them to do is their brain has to find new pathways to use their weaker side. So Mm -hmm. it sounds really weird, but it's not, it's, it's done in a very safe, loving atmosphere and the kids are happy. Oh yeah. Yeah. They had like lots of fun activities for them to do. Um, So for two weeks, he was in the cast and then the last week uh, they take off the cast and then they're working with both of their hands. Yeah. Um, Bilateral skills yeah. where they use two hands. Yeah. So we had an apartment in New Jersey uh, and that was an adventure. It was 45 minutes from New York city. Yeah. So that was pretty, you know, pretty interesting to go to, to just hop on the subway and go to New York city. But it's also great to be in an apartment complex with other people who were uh, sending their child to this camp. I mean, there's people from Eng- England and Australia. Uh, all over the United States. Yeah, all over the United States. And it is just so cool to experience that. Because here, now I will say uh, through our, our therapist here, I have my therapist, a blanket statement to them always. Anybody I know that works with young children, if you come across a child, well, for in, any child that might need help, but also, especially a, a new child that's going through the, the diagnosis or they've just moved here, if they need someone to talk to about resources, constraint therapy, 
uh, anything that we've done, I believe that, you know, Robin Roberts, what is it that she says? Her mom says you make your mess your message. Mm -hmm. And I believe that I had a lot, a lot of people that helped us through this. And so we want to be that sounding board for someone else. We want to be that advocate and growth growing together. And I've learned from them when they reach out to me, then I learn from them about the yeah. things that they're doing. So, um, but we have a small group of that here, but like Daniel's saying, we had it in our apartment complex. So all we had to do was go outside that afternoon and you were surrounded by Elijah had siblings that also had sibling that were siblings of children with stroke. Um, you had other parents to talk to. We could we learned about our first steps program versus their early interventions. Mm -hmm. We found strengths in ours and strengths in theirs. We we learned so much from just the social aspect of that. Um, now the camp was wonderful, yeah. um, but I miss so much that that interaction with other families that were like us. Yeah, and so we did that in the summer. Then we went back in the fall in October. We did. We did a little two week stint in October <laughs> session. Um, and then, what was it? So it's been three or four years since we did Birmingham. Yeah. So our and then our next uh, traveling for therapy is we went to Birmingham, Alabama, and it was the uh, Birmingham Hospital University UAB. UAB, yeah, UAB. Um, with Miss Jane. With Miss Jane. She's awesome. <laughs> so uh, we did that with him. We uh, let's see, we, we stayed there one summer, right? We did. We did. Yeah, we had we, an apartment. We, we did. Birmingham is closer for us. So we yeah. can be to Birmingham in four hours. Yeah, four or five hours. Um, and it's a different program. And so yeah. actually a lot of the research was done at Birmingham. And for me, uh, either I was working part time or not working at all when we did this. What you do at Birmingham is it's not a group setting like like Camp Helping Hands was. It is a one on one setting. So you are with the therapist all day long. Pretty yeah. Much. You're, I mean, you're seeing what they're doing. And they're training you. Yeah, they're training you. So for that point in our life, when I was home with him, and then after you leave and go back home, they keep research on you because um, they're one of the universities that actually has done a lot of the research that other people have used. Um, and so it also holds you accountable because you are constantly emailing all this documentation and, mm -hmm. and they're checking back in with you. Um, we have not done that in years, but I, I get a lot of people say, well, would you recommend New Jersey or would you recommend Birmingham? And I would honestly say it depends on what your family yeah. wants. And the truth is I recommend both of them because we grew from both of those experiences. Um, and at some point I want Jonah to go back to both of those experiences. Okay, so that was a bit about Jonah's therapy experiences. Um, and now we'll just share a little bit with you about what he's done. He's done public preschool. He's done private preschool. He's done public school. Um, he has done a preschool at the university. Mm -hmm. So we basically, if we heard about it and we had the smallest inkling that Jonah or our family in general might grow from that experience, we tried it. Yeah. Now, yeah. I think it's important to remember every single setting that Jonah has ever been in, there have been things we loved about it and things we did not love about it. And so I think what you have to remember, if you're a parent of a child with special needs, is if there is something you do not love about it and you feel like, you know, people always say, you know, is that a hill you're going to, you're going to stand on, you're going to fight on. If it is, if it's, if it's that important, then you advocate with everything you have. If it's something small, then you try to just, what I tell myself is I'm going to give it 
three tries or I'm going to give it three days and see if it's still a big deal in those in those three days. Now, if it's something safety related or um, one of my big ticket items, then I'm going to address it right then. But if it's something that's kind of small and annoying, I'll say I'm going to give it three tries or give it three days or three hours, depending on what you're what you're thinking about. I also think, and this is not just true um, about children with with special needs, that we have to take time to make sure we are acknowledging all of the things that are good. Um, Because so often when you have a child with special needs or a child with unique learning needs, we even had this with Elijah some, you are inundated with so many either negative or uh, things that people are telling you that they can't do or they're behind on, or um, it could be a behavioral thing. You are inundated with so many negative things um, that can just trample your spirit, you have to be so intentional to look for the positive things. And that is something I've had to really work on because I can have, I could hear a sentence from a teacher or a therapist or a doctor and, and that sentence could have, you know, five good things in it. And I'm going to focus on the one bad thing. So I do think that that's important for parents, if you're listening to this as a parent, to just try to make yourself really, really hard to focus on on the good things. It can be something they say or something you know yourself. Um, and if you are a teacher here listening, I think this is, serves as a good reminder uh, for you as that rule of there should be three positives to every one negative. So for every one thing you're going to share that's a deficit. Now, it doesn't have to be negative that it's behavior. It could just be that you're telling the, the parent that the child is not where that their peers are, there should be three positive things first. Um, So that's just something that I would encourage you to do. So I want to say that before we share all of these experiences, there were things we loved and things we didn't love about every single one. But Daniel, I think you'll agree. Every job you've ever had, there's been things you loved and didn't love. Oh, yeah. Right? (laughs) Uh, You know, I think anything we can think, if I watch a movie, if I read a book, there'll be things we love and don't love. Yeah. Um, But on the whole, we, each one of these experiences, either Jonah grew so much or it helped our family grow. Yeah. Um, so one of the first things Jonah did was the Big Red School, also called the Renshaw Early uh, Early Childhood Learning Center, I think. Sorry, Beth Schaefer, if I got that name wrong. Um, but it was wonderful. Mm-hmm. That is a program, an early childhood program at Western Kentucky University. And it blends together children with disability or some type of unique need and typically developing children. And it's an inclusive early childhood program. It was wonderful. Um, that was sort of our, that was the first time that Jonah had been with anyone besides me at that point, um, working with him. And that was a, that was a great experience for him. He went into public school. Well, he transitioned from first steps into public school. Uh, he worked with some wonderful therapists and wonderful preschool teachers at his public mm-hmm. school. He grew so much, um, we are thankful for those experiences. He did that for a year and a couple of months because when he started, when he was 30, there was only about a month left yeah. into school at that point. We did decide the following year to put him in a Montessori school because he could go for a couple of reasons. One is he could go every single day and we wanted to build consistency for him. He went part days every single day instead of just a couple of days a week. He went half days. Um, he left before nap time. I would pick him up and we would do therapies or, or, or work with him from home. Um, 
And we also wanted to try that because I was intrigued by Montessori methods because I remember, it's funny how the things that you remember when I was in college, I always thought Montessori was interesting because she went into this hospital institutionalized um, setting during that time period and people thought all these children couldn't learn and she created methods for them to learn. And so knowing Jonah's background, I just wanted to see how he did in that environment. Um, and it had, there also had a lot of the lessons that they were doing had a lot of physical therapy and occupational therapy things that were tied into that. Um, and Jonah learned a lot about independence, um, at the Montessori school. He, you know, I, and I, I appreciate that. And then Jonah went back um, for kindergarten to the same school uh, that he was at for preschool and has had a wonderful experience mm -hmm. again there. So we have loved each environment that he's been in. Just like I said, there have been pros and cons to each one. And each one has worked really, really hard. Jonah's had some truly amazing teachers. Um, kindergarten, first, second grade. He's getting ready to go into third grade. Um, and preschool that could see talents in him when I always worry. I mean, I all, one thing I always tell any teacher that's working with him is I just want you to know that he can do so much more than it will appear to you because it's his processing time might be a bit longer. He's going to need more wait time. And also Jonah knows how to play the game. He's been in therapy since he was nine months old. If he doesn't want to do something, he learned very young that if he looks away from you and he doesn't interact with you, you will assume he can't do that. And you will do that thing for him. Yeah. <laughs> he, I'll, I'll never forget his first week at camp helping hands. He was not yet walking. Um, but they said, when I picked him up the second day, they said, you know, I think we've almost got him sitting up hundred percent on his own. And I was like, what, you know, he's two years old. He's been sitting up now for a really long time yeah. on his own. And it hit me that at, even at that age, if Jonah could feel you were at all near his body, he would put every bit of his weight on you. Uh, so we had a good laugh about that. Um, they learned that very quickly, but uh, that, that he you give Jonah an inch and he's going to take a mile, but that's not so different from any of the rest of us. So I uh, I should share at Camp Helping Hands too, Jonah actually learned to walk. Yeah, he did. In New Jersey. I remember when that therapist sent us that video of him walking and I will try to find it to link on the blog. I don't know if I can. I'll, I'll dig through or share on Facebook that video of Jonah walking to us the first time was actually in New Jersey. And that was just a truly amazing experience. Um, so anyway, so those are the schools that Jonah has been to. If you're listening to this and you've been one of with his teachers in the past, just know that you have changed his life and you've changed our life. And we are so grateful. Yeah, for thank you. you. Thank you so much. Okay, so now we're going to do a little bit of a parent interview about raising a child with special needs. So, Daniel, let's start off with the hard one. So, uh, Daniel, what, what has been the most difficult thing for you as a dad? I think the hard, what's been the most difficult is just seeing, uh, like, like when Jonah's with, like, with his peers. So, like, when he's with, like, a second grader, he's just just seeing the gap in between like a, like a second grader and him, that is one of the most difficult things to see is to, I mean, just to see that um, it's just, it just hurts me that, you know, he's not up to that level. Uh, that's probably one of the most difficult things to see. You're to see him struggle. Like if we're in public, 
like if he has trouble walking or, or answering someone or, or answer, yeah, even like answering someone's questions. That's something I would say. It, it's, it's give give children a lot of wait time if you're yeah. if you're interacting with them. He, if you give him a lot of wait time, he can't answer you. But if you keep firing off questions, it it makes it harder. Yeah, and also um, setting setting an IP meetings and just hearing all the things that he cannot do. Um, that's what makes it very difficult. And how many times I've sat in so many IEP meetings on the other side and I never really had true empathy for those families and how they fit, felt um, for those. So definitely IEP meetings are way more emotional than I ever knew when I was just a teacher, um, just on the teacher side of it until I was on the family side. I did not know how hard it was to sit into yeah. those. So what has been the hardest thing for you? Well, I think like you said, obviously, um, just anytime I'm watching him struggle on the flip side of that, anytime I'm watching Elijah worry about his brother, although we try really, really hard to make sure Elijah doesn't feel accountable for any of that. Um, or know when we're worried about things, he obviously does know. Um, for example, Elijah's been there when his brother's having a seizure before. I mean, you can't, you can't keep him from that. And when we tried to, it really wasn't as successful. I'll let Elijah talk about that in a minute, but, um, watching him kind of struggle with with anything to do with his brother is is hard because um, we don't want to add worry to him he has enough worries of his own uh, that wasn't something that we wanted him to take on another thing that's hard uh, that I want to talk about is just accepting that your normal is gone so I remember when we first got the diagnosis and first started therapy you know I quit my job uh, and I would do it a million times over again, but I quit my my work and I devoted everything into researching pediatric stroke and how to help Jonah because I knew that there was this window of opportunity when he was younger and there was you know greater plasticity in the brain and all of that. So um, I want we wanted to throw everything at him like that doctor said yeah. that we could um, to help him and. On the one hand, I would always always do it over, but on the other hand that was hard for me mental health wise. Um, so I would lay awake at night and research for hours and hours. And like, I would worry like when he was 18 months old, if when he was seven, he wouldn't be able to carry his lunch tray at school. And I wouldn't mind not sleep that night because I would worry, how are we going to teach him to use two hands? Um, which sounds really silly and frivolous, but you know, when you're in the middle of the night worries, you can't control that. Uh, through a friend's advice, I did start writing again. I've always loved writing and I wrote the Shine On series and that helped me. And what that taught me was I was actually a better problem solver and thinker for Jonah when I had a different outlet. So by writing that series and then I started, I actually went to therapy, didn't I, Daniel, yeah. for, yeah. for a, a few months around that same time, just to sort of, because what happened is everything I thought thought that I knew about the normal in our life and had been flipped on end. So I had to learn. I've always been a little bit of a control freak, <laughs> right? Like Daniel laughs, but when we go on vacation or something, I make really detailed itineraries. And this was something that had happened that was totally beyond my control. And it wasn't something any doctor could fix for us. And I had no way to know what the outcome of that was going to be for Jonah. So to, to sort of work through and accept that was very difficult for me. So I did go to a therapist for a while and that, that helped me. Uh, 
work through some of those feelings I had. Um, and I would encourage you to do that. I, I did mindfulness and that's actually something I learned uh, as I was, I wish I learned it at 30, but I wish I had known mindfulness from the time I was a child because I, uh, even if you don't need to go to therapy for something, mindfulness day to day will help bring you peace. Um, I do it now with my own children. Um, but I just want to say that mental health, stress, worrying about your child and and trying to keep it all inside, uh, that was really, really difficult for me as a mom and, and watching him struggle, watching people stare. Uh, that was all really, really difficult for me as a mom. I remember one time I didn't feel like I could cry in front of anyone or let out those emotions in front of anyone. So I went to the shower and turned the shower on, which started out as a legitimate shower, but it turned into that I was so stressed. I don't remember. This might have been after Jonah's first seizure. Jonah had a really bad, um, his first seizure was really bad. I thought we were going to lose him, but, you know, thank God for first responders and, and, and things. But, um, I think I was in the shower. I sat down in the shower because I could cry in the shower and no one could hear me. And Elijah came in and he still does not know to this day. He said, mom, what are you doing? Cause you know, he was little, he was, how old was he? Like six, there's you know, six, and yeah. there's never any privacy. And I said, Oh, I'm just taking a relaxing shower because it was, the shower was on. He couldn't tell I was crying. And he said, Oh my gosh, mom, that's the best idea. Can I take a relaxing shower with you? So for like a year or two afterwards, Elijah would come in and say, mom, do you think we need a relaxed shower? And he had no idea, but that was the best divine intervention. I was in this sad, I was in this mm -hmm. sad place at that moment. And then he came in and, and, and turned it around. So I still laugh I mean, if he ever brings up the fact that, oh, mom, remember we used to take relaxed showers, that that actually started for me just feeling like I needed a place away from everybody to cry. But here's what I want you to know. And why I'm sharing that really personal moment with you is if you are the parent of a child with, with special needs, and especially if you're early in that diagnosis or receiving a new diagnosis, like Jonah just received a new diagnosis of epilepsy just in May. Yeah. Um, and so give yourself grace and time to process that, that and grieve the loss of what you thought was normal. If you need to do that, some people don't need to do that, but if you need to do that, that's okay. If you are working with someone and working with families, uh, with special needs and they get upset about something really simple that doesn't seem like it's a big deal. Remember it's probably not that they're upset with you about that small thing. You don't know the other hundred things that they've dealt with or the emotions. Um, so give them grace. So I just guess my answer is through those difficulties, give yourself grace, your family grace, and those you're working with grace to just sort of muddle through it all and grow together. So we're here with Elijah, and we're so thankful Elijah is our older son. He's 14 now, and actually whenever someone wrote to us and asked for a family perspective, the specific thing that they wanted was a sibling perspective. So this is very much out of Elijah's comfort zone. He's our quiet guy, so thank you so much, Elijah, for for joining us for this. You're welcome. Um, I want to start off with your very first thing that you did that was kind of a big deal. Uh, you raised money for a CP awareness project. Elijah, can you tell how you raised money for that project? We uh, did a school fundraiser where te teachers gave us some money to wear jeans 
than the students paid to wear hats. Yeah, I think there was a dollar, right? It was a dollar fifty cents. I think it was a dollar. And through that um, experience, he he raised a lot of money. One dollar turned into like I think it was like a thousand dollars. Yeah, I think, I think he did hit a thousand. Um, so that was a really big deal for a fourth, fifth grader to to be able to do that. Now, once he got all of that money, what he decided to do was raise money for what? What did you buy, Elijah? Uh, kits for the Warren County Library. Yeah. For kids with uh, special needs. Right. And it, it was therapy kits. So it was all he went through and he talked with physical therapists and occupational therapists and speech therapists. And you also donated to clinics, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and he found out what toys they didn't have that they needed for therapy. And then he, I thought this was really clever. He, um, put kits together for like gross motor. Like, so there would be a kit that was full of balls and then a kit that was cars and and things like that. And then there was a water play kit. It was all the toys he'd seen his brother use at therapy or therapist mentioned that they needed. And, um, those kits are still available for checkout. Doesn't that, how does that make you feel? Good. Yeah. The people are still using them. Yeah. So um, we saw one that earlier this year when we were there. I think we saw the the ball the ball kit was out available for checkout. So that was a CP awareness project that you did for your school. You actually did a PowerPoint presentation in front of the entire school about that. And we are so proud of you for a lot mm-hmm. of reasons, but that was really special. Elijah, something happened with your friends, though. I think you were on the bus maybe when you heard it. Can you tell a little about what made you want to do that project? What made me want to do it was people were saying ugly things about my brother and kids with special needs. Yeah, he heard people saying ugly things about kids with special needs and his brother in particular. And you came home and how did you feel? Upset about it and angry. He's angry and sad about it. And so we talked about when something like that happens, you have a choice. You can be mad. Uh, yeah, angry. You can be angry. Or you can do what? Uh, do something about you it. Do something about it. And he, we let him have the choice. Do you want to be angry? And he'll let us call the teacher and, and, and go that round, have a parent conference about it. Or do you want to do something about it? And you chose to? Do something about it. And um, so his, his do something about it was to teach other people Uh, about cerebral palsy and what it means. Um, So that was pretty cool. Okay, so the next thing that I want to talk to you about is something that is hard. And um, you know what I'm going to talk to you about. We we discussed all of this in advance because I would never want to surprise an Elijah with any question um, like this that might be emotional. So one of the things that Daddy and I talked about um, that was difficult is when your brother struggles with something and especially seizures and you were home during one of your brother's more difficult, um, seizures. And I realized very quickly when that started happening, that we had a medical plan for your brother of how to get him help, but we did not have a plan for you. Um, because in the past that his seizures where we needed to call 911, you had been at school. Mm-hmm. And so I, do you remember where I put you? In your bedroom. In your bedroom. And I closed the doors and I just said, your brother is safe. He's going to be okay. And we're calling 911. And then I left the room to call 911, make sure your brother give his medicine and all that. Um, And you were shouting. Do you remember shouting at me at the door? Not like angry shouting, but you were shouting, what can I do? Do you remember that? Yeah. 
And when I went to try and put on some clothes to go to the hospital as we were waiting for the first responders, um, I swear it was divine intervention, but I was looking at you thinking, I can't give him a job. It was, you know, five years ago, you were nine years old. You, I didn't want you to have a job during that, but your little eyes to me were like you were going to explode if you didn't have something to do besides be locked up in our bedroom. <laughs> so um, it was divine intervention. And do you remember the job I gave you? To wait for the firefighters to arrive. Yeah. And to show them Jonah's bedroom. Yeah. Um, and, and that ended up being the perfect thing. Once you had that job, you looked like you felt more at peace. Was that true? Yeah. Why did you feel better to have a job than just to sit there? I think it was just because I was anxious with what was happening. And I wanted to make sure that my little brother was safe. Yeah. Yeah. I know you wanted to make sure he was safe. And you were an important part of that. So yeah. now if Jonah has a seizure in your home, what's your standing job? To tell the firefighters where Joe is. Yeah. To help the firefighters. And, and or now where we live, the ambulance gets here first. Yeah. So to tell the first responders to uh, how to find Jonah. So, um so, Elijah, what's something that is, I'm going to ask you the same question Daddy and I answered. What's a challenge? What's a challenge about having a sibling that you want other people to know, like your teachers to know or Joe's teachers to know or other families to know? What's something as a sibling that's difficult? I think the biggest challenge is that he needs a lot of attention to make sure that he's okay and if he needs help with anything. So just... One, everyone's always giving Jonah a lot of attention, right? Um, so that that's true. And so you have to kind of be, you had to learn how to, to cope with that as a child, right? Mm -hmm. um, I imagine that that is very hard. But then the second part of what you said to make sure he's okay, can you talk a little bit about that? What you mean by that? Like if he needs help with anything like opening a container or unzipping something. So he needs every day-to-day -day things that typically developing siblings at that age nine might not need help with. He still needs help with those things. Is that what you, that's, that's difficult. Mm -hmm. Is it hard for you to see that? Sometimes it does make me feel upset, but I'm always happy to help. You're always happy to help, but it, it does make you feel upset. Just to, kind of like daddy and I said, it's, yeah. it's hard to see. Yeah. Okay, so last question, Elijah, what is, what's something good? Tell us something good about, you feel like that you've had uh, in your experience of, of being a sibling of a child with special needs. Tell us something good. Well, it feels good to take care of them. You feel accomplished and like you're helping. Mm -hmm. how, how do you think it's helped you grow? How do you think it's helped you be a stronger person that you might not have otherwise had the opportunity? I think I can be more care. Well, like I can care more. I care about things more. What about even outside of him, like in your class? This is something I know about you at school. How, what do you, when you see someone being picked on, what do you do? You usually stand up for them. Mm -hmm. You think if you didn't have the experiences with your brother, would you have probably felt comfortable to do that? No. Yeah. So it gave you a different level of empathy. It's yeah. made you, you're a fantastic big brother in general and a fantastic big brother for Jonah in particular. So just a disclaimer, they, not everything is perfect. They still have their, their moments of fighting. Um, I have a little brother. And so I remember growing up, we were constantly fighting or bickering. Uh, and so 
th- those two, Elijah and Jonah, they do still get on each other's nerves. Absolutely. They're still trying to just, aggravate each other. Yeah, like car trips are tough. Yeah. You wish you had a wall in between the back seats. Um, yeah, so we just wanted to share it because a lot of times on social media or even, you know, in this podcast, it can look like, oh, my gosh, they are Brady Bunch. Everything yeah. is perfect. And it's not. But you know what? When they do get in fights, Daniel and I do say, I'm so thankful that they mm-hmm. do fight with each other, that they have that um, typical brother experience. So, we, but we do want to be real about that with you. We're so proud of Elijah. Like I said, that's very out of his comfort zone to speak um, on this podcast to everybody. So I'm grateful for that. Um, basically, if you listen to this, we also want to give the disclaimer that the Bemis family experience of raising a child with with special needs is not anybody else's experience just like every child is unique i our our experience is unique yeah yeah, each family is different yeah so this is one this is one peek into one family's experience so we wanted to honor that the other thing i wish we could do but jonah's just not at a place where he could do that um, I don't believe on on camera or on mic is to ha- have um, him share with you his sibling experience and his and his experience. I, th- I think back to what he said in the beginning about knowing who he is is important. I also think you should know that he looks up to his brother, yeah. although they fight and things. Uh, he really depends on his brother, just like younger siblings do, but he thinks his brother is the bee's knees. Yeah. <laughs> he, yeah. he, 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 he appreciates him and he loves him. Um, even though they do annoy each other. Um, but that's just part of being human. One thing that we want our listeners to know is that we're just like any other family. Um, we like to go on vacation. We like to go to Disney world. We like to listen to music, like to draw, uh, like to draw. uh there are th- you know, there's you're going to find out that there's similar things that we have in common. Yeah. Okay. But we also want you to know that we're unlike any other yeah. family. <laughs> that we're going to have unique challenges um, at IEPs or at doctors' visits. We're going to be inundated with difficult realities about our child that maybe other families don't have, or most other families don't have. Um, so you, or we're trying to navigate and balance that along with the needs of any other siblings or any other typical problems that, that we might have. Um, an easy example of this is the, that I'll share quickly is, you know, I used to think that Jonah couldn't independently play in his bedroom. So I took a class online from a teacher in Amsterdam that showed me how to set up a Montessori environment for independence and Jonah learned to play independently in his bedroom. Well, with Elijah, all I had to do was put out toys and he independently played in his bedroom. With Jonah, I had to take an online class to learn how to create an environment for him to do that. So I share that with you because there are things that are one step harder when you're raising a child with special needs. And even just the search of, of that can be difficult. And if you're interested in that creating a Montessori environment in your home, let me know. I'd be glad to do a, a blog post or an episode on that. Um, so we want you to know on one hand, we're just like everybody else. And on another hand, we're nothing like anybody else, <laughs> which is probably true of all families. Yeah. Um, so I hope you've enjoyed this. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope it helps shine a little light on something you might've been curious about. And mostly I hope it helped you build empathy for the families that you're working with. If you are a caregiver of a child with special needs, I hope it helped you realize that you are not alone and we see you. So together we stand. Together we grow. 
Hey, don't forget about uh, our website. It's bluegrassedu.com. We're also on social media. Uh, we're, if you search uh, Bluegrass EDU on Facebook, you can find the Facebook group there. Uh, I'm also on Twitter at Daniel Bemis EDU. Allison's on Twitter at Teacher Allison. Yes. And then uh, she's also on Instagram too. It's Allison underscore Bluegrass EDU. That's right. All right. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. 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 Bye.